Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 1 today. Forbes magazine states that early risers are the most successful people in Western culture. The discipline of getting up early produces many positive results, including, but not limited to these, a more proactive approach to life, more optimism, and sleep earlier in the evening is better than sleep late into uh, the hours of the morning. Benjamin Franklin woke up at 5 a.m. to start his day. George W. Bush was out running every morning by 4 a.m. First Lady Michelle Obama worked out at 4.30 a.m. And you would be amazed if you look it up how many CEOs of our major corporations are early risers getting up at 4 and 5 in the morning. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I could care less what they do. I'm going to sleep in late and um, I'm just doing my thing. Did you know that Jesus was an early riser? I got you, right? At least on one occasion. I thought I was going to be able to come in here this morning and prove to you and, and make it and, and say to you that Jesus consistently got up early every morning, and you should too. That was going to be part of my goal today. But I could not, I could not find that. I could not prove that. In fact, there's only one other place in the Bible where it says that Jesus got up early. And that was the day of his resurrection. He rose from the dead early in the morning. Other than that, the, the time we're going to look at this morning and that time are the only two times it, it says that Jesus got up early. So if you're a night owl this morning, a late riser, you can breathe a sigh of relief that Jesus isn't necessarily setting you an example to follow in that area. I, I think he did. Please don't misunderstand. I think Jesus did get up consistently early in the morning, but I can't make a, a case to encourage you to do that. But I want to tell you this. Listen to me carefully. I don't think it was getting up early in the morning that made Jesus successful. Okay, I don't think that was where his success lied or lay. I, I think he was successful because of what he did that morning that he got up, that he got up early. And uh, in fact, he did this almost from the beginning, launching his kingdom, the kingdom of God. He would get up early to do that. So let's read. We're at Mark chapter one, verse thirty-five. If, uh, if you're our guest today for the first time, we started looking through this biography written by Mark, who wasn't one of Jesus' immediate disciples, but we believe that Mark's account or his biography is primarily from Peter's recollections. And uh, so we're just a few weeks into this and we're at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon, that would be Simon Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found Jesus and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So I, I said there's quite a few reasons why you should get up early. I think there's quite a few benefits for getting up early. But Jesus got up early for one particular reason. And that reason was this, to spend time with God, to start his day off with God. That's why he got up early. And during his ministry, we would find that Jesus did this often, that he would get alone with God, leaving his disciples by themselves. In Luke chapter 5, for instance, verse 16, it says of Jesus, yet he often withdrew 
to deserted places and prayed. So I just have one goal this morning as I share with you from, from Mark's biography. I have just one goal this morning and it's this. I want to encourage you today when you leave here, I want to encourage you to make a decision to have a daily time with God. Now, I, I think it's probably true that some of you used to do that, but you don't do it anymore. Or maybe you used to be very consistent in having a time with God, but something happened along the way. And so today it's just really hit and miss. Or maybe you've never had a time where you devoted some time of your day to spending with God. I really want to encourage you to do that. And I'm, I'm hoping that God will show us the importance of it and that God will also you know, help us with our motivation. We all need help with our motivation from time to time. So as I read this text this week, uh, there were five aspects of Jesus' time with God that I noticed and that I want to share with you this morning. So let's kind of just dive in. Five aspects, five important aspects of Jesus' time with God that particular, that particular morning. Here's the first one. His time with God was planned. By the way, if you happen to be our guest, on the back of your bulletin, there is an outline just to help you follow along uh, if, if you need that. First, he said it was a planned time, verse 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. It's obvious from that very first line and from the other lines that I've read you already that this time with God in the morning for Jesus, on this particular day anyway, that this was not a spur of the moment event. This was something that Jesus had planned and something that he had thought through. I have no idea how Jesus woke up early that morning. I don't believe they had alarm clocks back then. Uh, but it's obvious it was his intention. Maybe, maybe when he had to go to the bathroom, he got up and, you know, went ahead and got up. That was his plan all along. Maybe, maybe some of us, you know, you can just tell yourself when to wake up and, and you just wake up. So maybe he just woke up like that. However it was, maybe the spirit woke him up. I don't know. But this was his plan and this was his intention. We need to have a plan as well. In fact, the, the Bible often speaks of Jesus planning his time alone with God. Not just this particular incident, but like, for instance, when he calls his disciples, he plans and he spends all night alone with God, talking with God about who he's going to pick. After he feeds the 5,000, he plans to spend time with God alone. He sends his disciples on, gets rid of them. I don't mean in a bad way, but he gets, he gets rid of them so he can spend time with God in Gethsemane. The very night before he's to be crucified, he plans his time with God. He goes to Gethsemane and he separates his disciples. And this, it was all planned. Now I realize that Benjamin Franklin probably wasn't a follower of Jesus uh, per se, but he once quipped, and I believe it's true, you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. You heard that before, right? He said it in various different ways. But if you plan to fail, you are, or wait, if you Failed to plan, excuse me, you are planning to fail. And I'm suggesting that Jesus went to bed that night planning to, to do exactly what he did the very next morning. Planning is about having a goal and deciding how to get there. And Jesus had served people late into the night. Go back and if you read the previous passage that we looked at last week, he, he spent the, the evening late into the night healing everybody who came to the door. So it's late at night, he's tired. He decides when I'm just I'm going to have to get up early in the morning if I'm going to have time with God because people will be back in the morning. So this was his plan. On Wednesday mornings from seven to eight, I pray with a, a group of guys and we pray out here in the lobby. In fact, men, if you're retired or if you don't work from seven to eight, I'd love to have you come and join us and pray with us. But at 8 a.m. Uh, Wednesday morning, Charles 
uh, Easy Guy Praise with us, Charles's phone began to play this sweet little music, you know, and, and he couldn't find his phone. And, and finally, uh, one of us says, Charles, what's that? And this is what Charles said. He says, that's my reminder to spend time with God. So at 8 o'clock, you know, now 7 o'clock, he's spending time with God with us. But normally by 8 o'clock, he's got this music going off to remind him to spend time with God. Uh, in the morning. So you and I, beloved, we need to come up with a plan to spend time with God. Number two, here's the second thing I noticed, that his time with God was private. Again, verse 35, rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. A desolate place, a place where there's no people, a place where there would be solitude. That seems to be the emphasis. He went to a place where he could be alone. And let's be honest, that's probably the reason he got up early, right? Because nobody else is getting up early. He got up early so that he could be alone. Nobody would be awake. And myself are empty nesters. What that means is there's plenty of places to, to get alone with God at our house in the morning. I can go to the front porch, the back porch. You can go to the opposite porch. Her favorite was the back porch. I notice it's becoming the front porch. I just always take the other porch or whatever. I get up earlier than she does. And so, uh, but you need to find time alone. What if you got a bunch of small kids and a small space in which to live? How do you get alone there? You, I'm sure you've heard this story before, but Susanna Wesley, the mother of John Wesley and Charles Wesley, she had 19 children. I looked it up and nine of them died in infancy. So she lost, she buried nine children. I'm not talking about miscarriages either. I'm talking about she had nine children that she buried in their infancy, which I just can't imagine how hard that was. But anyway, so Susanna Wesley with her remaining, I guess, 10 children that are coming along in a small space, this is what she did. She got a towel and she put it over her head in the morning in the kitchen. And the kids all knew that when mom had the towel over her head, they weren't allowed to question her, talk with her because she was having her alone time with God. So you say, well, that's not alone. No, it's not. But it is in a way, right? She's ridding herself of distractions. And I believe that's the reason why Jesus is meeting alone with God. And the reason why I'm suggesting that we should emulate him is to, to, to focus on him and to minimize distractions. Now, some of us use devices like our phone or our tablet. You know, when we're having our time with God, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But you need to find a way to minimize the distractions that come along with that. Put it on airplane mode, you know, stop the texting that comes along while you're spending your time with God. Number three, uh, his time with God was prayerful. Look at verse 35 and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. So the purpose of this planned meeting in private with God was to pray and to talk. And by the way, prayer is talking with God. It's, it's, it's fellowshipping with God. It's communing with God. It's, uh, I mean, unfortunately, we've made it a, a laundry list of things we want from God. It's like when we meet with God, we pull out our Aladdin light lamp. He's got God written on the side of it and we rub it and we want God to answer all of our requests. And don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that we shouldn't petition God. We should. The Bible tells us to petition God and ask God things. God even says at one point, you have not because you don't ask. So I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't ask, but prayer is so much more than taking our list of things that we want and asking God for them. Prayer is so much more than that. 
Prayer is about hearing from God. It's about listening to God. It's about telling Him what's going on in your life. It's about, it's about being in a relationship with a friend and you're, you're, you're sharing with Him what's going on. Our time with God needs to be both a time of listening, and that's why He gave us a Bible, by the way, so we can listen. And it's about listening, but it's also about talking and just sharing with God what's going on in our lives. I've asked Ann to come. And share with you. I don't live with you guys, so I can't watch all his life. But I've watched Anne's life for 35 years or more, 37 years. And, uh, and she has a very consistent time with God. And I asked her to share with you what she does and how she does it. Well, I tried to write a few things down. But then this morning, something kind of twisted. And I, I, I added some things. <clears throat> but yeah, when I got saved, I was sort of taught to have what we called a quiet time, spending time alone with God each day, just like Jimmy was talking about. And, um, you know, that really became something, a habit, that I really have not let fall away my Christian life. Although at different seasons, it looks a little different. When I did have uh, six children at home, little ones, and a lot of times they got up pretty early, I would get up early at 5 o'clock or 5.30 and have my time alone, but now I don't have to do that anymore. Um, and actually, when I worked and I had to be at work at 6 in the morning, which meant I had to get before, I wasn't doing that. i just be real honest with you. I didn't get up even earlier to have a quiet time with the Lord. Um, but what I do in that time, I guess, is sort of what he wanted me to share. But the first thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, let's face it, God's invisible. We're not going to be sitting there face-to-face with a person. He's invisible. So how do we spend time with invisibility, right? And, um, you know, one thing I thought about this morning was if you have been in a long-distance relationship, maybe you, back in the day, or even today, you got letters or texts or whatever, and maybe you spent a lot of time rereading those things. And, you know, God gave us a love letter. He gave us the Bible. So basically what I spend my time doing in my quiet time is reading the Bible. And a couple of things that I do if I'm not in a Bible study that has a workbook, which I do like. I love having somebody tell me what to read and ask me a specific question about it. Uh, But if I'm not doing that, I am reading through the Bible. And I, I have Bible plans that I've used throughout the years. And I like having something in the Old Testament, something in the New Testament, a Psalm and a Proverb on that same day. Uh, so I can read that. And um, I really uh, enjoy that. And so when I'm doing it, I talk with the Lord about what I'm reading. And I'm really not to the point I'm talking out loud yet. So I'm just really in my heart, in my brain, I'm talking to the Lord about what I'm reading and what it means to me, how I can apply it. I look at it in view of the world at large uh, and how it all works together, and I talk to the Lord about it. And then I will have a prayer time, and a lot of times I get up off of that wherever I'm sitting while I'm reading, and I like to walk because... Sitting sometimes just doesn't do it for me, so I like to walk. I even pray while I'm maybe starting my chores, cleaning up the kitchen. And like Jimmy said, I learned a long time ago, one time I was walking, and I just thought, what do I need to, what do I need to talk to the Lord about? What do I need to ask Him? What do I need to get Him to do? And I felt like He said, can't we just walk? <laughs> um, 
walking in God's presence and thinking about Him, praising Him, not necessarily giving my request to Him about things I want Him to do for me every day. We can just be together. And I think the spiritual discipline of silence is important. Contemplation, just meditating on what you've read. Um, prayer and study. And like I said, I'm not really legalistic about it. I mean, paint a better picture of me than I may be. But um, not legalistic about it. I'm still good with God if I don't get up every morning and have a time with Him. I, I feel like um, we're still good. Uh, but it has changed over the years as like to be said, I no longer work outside my home. I don't have children. Busy, busy life. I really don't have that. So it has changed. And I tell you what, it is the joy of my life. A lot of times a day, coming coming of a morning, I think I have got to get up and do something because I've really enjoyed my time. Yeah, and, I, and I want to say something. I didn't mean to imply Anne is legalistic at all. I, I never would have used that term to define or describe her time with God. But it is consistent. And much more consistent than I would say mine is. And that's why I wanted you to hear from her. I do want to encourage you. And she actually, she actually touched on this. I want to encourage us all to have a running conversation with God all day long. I mean, when you're driving, when you're walking, whenever, just, I mean, talk to God, talk to Jesus all throughout your day. When you're angry at something, tell, tell him about how angry you are. Or if you've got a question, ask God those things. Just talk to God. And I remember there was a season in my life where I tried to substitute that for the getting up early and spending time with God. Because I thought, man, it's much more important that I just walk with God and talk with God all day long, Right. But you know the truth is, the Son of God, our King, he, he did both of those. Remember, remember he's out somewhere and he says, Father, I'm saying this so that they can all know that you're the one. That, you remember that? He's talking to God and present in front of them all. But, but then he pulls away all the time for this particular time with God. And I really want to encourage us to do that as well. Number four, his time with God was a priority. Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. 30, 37 says they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. It didn't take long for everyone to want a piece of Jesus, right? And so Jesus realized if everybody wants a piece of me, then I've got to prioritize my time with God. I've got to get up and, and, and before they're all looking for me. I need to have my time with God. And so he prioritized his time with God. And my challenge to all of us, I mean, and this is like challenge Jimmy and challenge the rest of you, is to prioritize that time with God. Put it up on the high, put it on one of the first things of your priority list. Industrialist Charles Schwab, we've all heard that name, you know, uh, with uh, stocks and bonds, Schwab. Well, he was a, he was a key figure in Andrew Carnegie's uh, steel industry, steel empire. And he was having a hard time kind of getting things done. And so his friend, Rockefeller, this would have been two generations ago, Rockefeller introduced a, a guy to him or told him, hey, you need to see Ivy, uh, Ivy Lee was his name. You need to talk with him. He's a consultant. Well, Schwab didn't like consultants and he didn't want to do it. But because Rockefeller told him to do it, he did it. The meeting lasted 15 minutes. And uh, Lee comes in. And this is what Lee tells Schwab to do. He says, um, 
make a list of the six most important things that he could do the next day to further the overall health and function of U.S. Steel. At the end of the day, Schwab was to review the list, move anything that had not been finished to the top of the next day's list, and then add enough items to make a total of six again. That means it took only 15 minutes. When Lee left, he said to Schwab, hey, you do this for a month, and after a month, send me a check that you think my advice has been worth to you. And at the end of the month, Schwab sent him a check for $25,000. Now, you're talking about two generations ago, $25,000 was, that's an awful lot of money now, right? But it was an extreme amount of money then. Uh, and, and so the point that Lee was trying to make to Schwab is, if you don't prioritize what's important to you, you're going to, all these other things are going to take are going to take its place. And just so you know, I started my my most important six list. I don't know how well I'm going to do at it, but I'm trying. And every day at the top of them, the top one never changes. It's going to be my time, my time with God. I've, I've acted this illustration out a number of times, so I'm not going to act it out, but I am going to tell it to you because we've got a bunch of new folks and you may have never heard this. But here's, here's an illustration. This is a story. An, uh, an instructor in time management uh, in a time management seminar was coming to the end and he asked the participants to... to uh, to help him with a, in like a quiz. So he reached underneath the table and he pulled a big gallon jar up and put it on the table. And then he has some big fist-sized rocks and he pulls them out. And uh, he says, let's take a guess. How many of these fist-sized rocks do you think I can get in this gallon container? And so they all guessed and he put them in until it was filled. And he said, hey, is that full? And they said, yep, yeah, it's full. He reaches underneath the table, pulls out a little thing of gravel and he pull, pours gravel into the gallon Thing, and the gravel slides in around these big rocks, right? And, uh, and they're all just booing, right? You know, and he says, is it full now? Of course, they're not going to be fooled again because he asked them, is it full? They said, yeah. This time they go, no. He says, you're right. He reaches in there and pulls sand. He pours sand in the, in the, in the jar. And when it fills up, he says, is it filled? They go, no. And they were right. He reaches in there and pulls water and he fills it up with water. And then he says, what's the, what's the, what, what's the point of this story? And one guy says, there's always a way to fill in the, uh, what is it, let me get it right. There's always a way, um, there's always a way to fill in the gaps in your life with more work. <laughs> that's probably what I would have said, what you'd say, right? But anyway, so the instructor says, no, that's not the point. Here's the point. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. So think about it. You pour the gravel in the sand. You try to pour, put those big rocks in there. You'll never get them in. Why? Because the gravel and the sand have displaced the place where those big rocks would have been. The point of that illustration is unless you put the big rocks in first, you don't get them in. And, and so how that works with us right here and what we're talking about is that unless you prioritize your time with Jesus, I promise you everything else is going to suck that time up and you won't get, you won't put that big rock of spending time with God in, the, in your life. Just won't. Let's get to the last one. So why does Jesus prioritize and plan for private time of prayer with God? And, and this is my final, my final thought is because his time with God was preparatory. Uh, I think his time with God was preparing him for his preaching ministry. I think it was preparing him for his practice or his practical ministry. Look at verse 38. 
And he said to Simon Peter and, and the other disciples, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So the ministry of Jesus consisted of preaching this good news that the kingdom of God had come, that the king was here, the long-awaited king had come, and the kingdom had begun. And so he says, my ministry is to preach this. And so he says, guys, let's go. And maybe they went out the back door. Everybody's waiting at the front door. They went on down the road to preach the good news of the kingdom somewhere else. So it was a preaching ministry, but it was also a practical ministry of grace and healing. He delivered people everywhere he went. So everywhere he went, the imprint of God was left behind. Look at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof. But he went out and began to talk freely about them, about it, and, he, and, it, and, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So everywhere Jesus went, he broke the laws of nature and he healed people that would just not be healed on their own. He healed people. He did things that only God could do. And he left the imprint of God's love for people everywhere he went. And, and Mark tells us that a leper comes to him. And, and the leper, don't you love the leper's faith? I mean, and I, let's just let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say it's true, right? The leper comes and he says, I absolutely know you can make me well if you want to. And you've got to love Jesus' response is, I want to, you know, I'm willing. No one had probably touched, leprosy was a disease that everybody knew was contagious, number one. And number two, there was no cure. So lepers had to live apart from everybody else. This guy had no telling how long, I'm, I'm speculating, I get it. But he's been ostracized. He's probably living apart in a commune of lepers. And, and Jesus, man, you got to love this guy. Jesus reaches out and touches him maybe never been touched or maybe it's been many many years and so he touches him and uh, and the man is is clean and, and jesus says go do what you need to do now to be proclaimed clean by uh, by the priest etc the next part irritates you doesn't it a little bit jesus says don't tell anybody and what does he do he goes out and tells everyone and part of me man like man jesus just healed you and you're going to go out and do the exact opposite of what of what he said but part of me understands, don't you? I remember when I was young, there was a, a singer. I think he's still alive. His name was Don Francisco, and he was a ballad writer. He would put stories to music. And he had one story about Jairus's daughter. Jairus was a, a, a rich guy, a, a leader, and his daughter was dying. He comes to get Jesus. Jesus goes back with him to heal him, but on the way, his daughter dies. And Jesus says to him, just don't worry, believe. When they get there, Jesus heals a little girl. Not heals her, he raises her from the dead. And he gives her back to Jairus. And then he says to Jairus, hey, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> but don't tell anybody what's just happened. And Don Francisco in the song, he's writing the song from Jairus' perspective, right? And then, and so Jairus goes, and then he told me not to tell anybody. And then the music gets quiet. He goes, I'm getting goosebumps. He goes, but I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. I got to 
to tell somebody what Jesus did for me. And he keeps getting louder in the Christmas crowd. I got to tell somebody, I got to tell somebody what Jesus. Man, I guarantee you this leper felt the same way. So you and I should have a little bit of mercy and compassion on him, right? Because if Jesus had done something like this for us, we'd be, I got to tell somebody, I got to tell somebody what Jesus did for me. Now, now let me be honest. I cannot make a direct biblical link between Jesus' time with God in the morning and his preparation for ministry. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says Jesus would prepare. And you, you may find one. I, I did not find one where the Bible says the reason Jesus got up early was to prepare himself for the ministry of the rest of the day. Um, I, I couldn't find a place. But I do want to see if I can make an implicit connection, all right, between my assertion and, and what the Bible reveals about Jesus. So on one particular occasion, Jesus has been up on a mountain. He comes down and his disciples have been trying to heal a guy who's been oppressed by some kind of demonic force. And, and, uh, and they just can't do it. They can't do it. And so Jesus comes up to him and he does it. He heals the, the young boy or young man. And later on, his disciples pull him aside and they said, you know, how come we couldn't do that? How come we couldn't do that? And Jesus' answer was, some things like this don't come out without prayer and fasting. I mean, Jesus doesn't pray in that instance. He doesn't bow his head and say, God, hear me now. He just tells the thing to come out. But he says they don't come out without prayer and fasting. I think Jesus is saying, you know, there's something to my, and I'm speculating, but there's something to my preparatory prayer every day that enables me to have the power to, to, to do this. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, uh, Jesus has been, let me read it to you. It says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, so here's the picture. Jesus is off praying. When he comes in after finishing, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And we know that Jesus taught them to pray. In Luke 6, 12, we read that during those days, he went up on the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and chose 12 of them, and he named them apostles. Seems like everything that Jesus did that was big ministry-wise, it would always be pre uh, preceded by his prayer times with God. Now, I realize that's not a strong circumstantial case. I realize that. But, but I think it still stands to just, uh, just to implicit reason that Jesus spent his time in prayer with God to prepare himself for the ministry of the days ahead or what will lie ahead for him. Listen, everyone, and I, I, I want to make there's no mistake here. Prayer is not powerful. Prayer is not powerful. God is powerful. God is powerful. And our prayer is our connection to this powerful God who, who seeks to who wants us to have a relationship with him and work in response to that's how we engage with God. Yahweh is his name, by the way. It's a perpetual name. It means I am the ever-present one, right? So God, whose name is I am, the creator of all, this is how we connect to this all-powerful God. We do it by a relationship where we talk with him and spend time with him. And, and so I think Jesus' ministry of prayer that day was to prepare himself for all that lay ahead. Now in Acts chapter 4, the disciples would get this so that Jesus is gone. They're in charge now of spreading the kingdom. I'm almost finished. Hang with me, guys. And, and, and they're, they're in charge of spreading the kingdom. And so here's what we read. John and Peter have been arrested, and then they've been released. And then they all get together. And this is what we read. And they're praying. 
And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants, that's us, that we may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they assembled was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. and They began to speak the word of God with boldly. Here's my point. They, uh, they recognized by the book of Acts that the only way for God's power to be poured out through them was, uh, was through their prayer time with God. And so that's what they did. I wish this morning that I could persuade you and me. I mean, persuade us that the foundation and precursor to ministry is our time with God in prayer. It's our time of fellowship and communion and dependence on God in a relationship. I wish I could convince us of that. It's true for your personal ministry. It's true for our ministry as a church family. I've got a few more minutes, so I'm going to let you watch this. Um, John Avant was the pastor of Coggin Avenue Baptist Church probably 30 years ago. He was pastoring in Brownwood, Texas, in Brownwood, Texas, on that particular day, on this particular Sunday morning, five different churches, Coggin Avenue is the one I know the best because of John and because they're associated with our church, but there was an Assembly of God church, I think there was a Bible church, but there was five churches that experienced a work of God, and they experienced the work of God because these five pastors were meeting regularly to pray for God to do that. I want you to hear John. This is like two and a half minutes long, but listen to John. I am president of Life Action. These are strange times, difficult times. But I also believe this is the greatest opportunity for us to see national revival and awakening in our entire lifetimes. This is the 25th anniversary year of what's come to be known as the Brownwood Revival. 25 years ago in January, God broke out in our church uh, in Brownwood, Texas, Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, it it out, actually started in five different churches on the same day, supernaturally, pastors who had been praying together. Spilled over into our city, racial reconciliation, many people saved. Spilled over to the campus of Howard Payne University and then on to Southwestern Baptist Seminary, Wheaton University. And Bill Bright said 100 college campuses in 95 and 96 were ablaze with revival and uh, it became a great movement of repentance and mission, which spread missionaries all over the world. You know, one of the great things about revival movements is that uh, they're eternal in, in their effect and significance. Phenomena of revival ends after a relatively short time, a few months or a few years. But the effects last forever. Missionaries are all around the world that were students then. One has been one of the missionaries and, in my opinion, the greatest awakening in history in, uh, in the Muslim world. Where more Muslims have come to Christ in the past um, two decades than the past two millennia. I mean, you, you think about that. It's absolutely phenomenal what God is doing. One of those missionaries has told me some of the most amazing stories. One about two young ladies that we found out were led to Christ by one of our mission teams as a part of the Brownwood Revival Movement. And, uh, and or their mother, rather, was led to Christ. And now they have come to Christ and are missionaries in the Muslim world as well. Just crazy things like that. Uh, but let me end with this. What's going to happen next? Where are we headed in this country? Two uh, Muslims who had come to Christ in the nation of Iran came to America recently for two months. They were Christians. They went to every church they could find, uh, and they were so excited to be free to worship. But after two months, the wife said to the husband, 
You know, the Christians in this country are sleepy. She said, it's like there's a demonic lullaby playing. And she said, I'm getting sleepy. Let's go home. And they went back. They'd rather have revival with persecution than freedom without it. What are we going to do? Church in the Western world. This is our time for revival. But we can't dance to the tune of the demonic lullaby anymore. God has turned off our music in these days. And it's time to hear a new song of revival. God bless you all. And let's pray together for the greatest movement of the Spirit of God in the history of the world. I stand by my assertion. Prayer is preparatory for for the ministry that God wants to do in your life and in my life and in our church family. It's, it's just, it has to be precipitated by our relationship, uh, our relationship with God. I've always just longed for our church to be a people that, that sees that importance. So here's my concluding uh, challenge to all of us. Would you embrace today the need to spend time with God? Would you embrace that in your heart that you need to spend time with God? Maybe you used to and, you, and if it has fallen away and it's time, to, it's time to reclaim it. It's time to come back, you know, and say, God, I, I want to I walk with you every day. So I'm, I'm challenging you. Would you decide that it'll be a priority, maybe the priority of your life? Will you devise a plan so that you can have personal time with God? That's, that's the challenge for all of us this morning. And then, and then for the family, I would like to just say, would you consider joining us Sunday morning to pray or Wednesday morning to pray? Would you consider that? Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.